0: Welcome back to the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Erdman. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and own bravodog.ca, as well as the mentorshipcollective.com. I am really excited to welcome back Jenny Efimova of Dog-Minded Boston. And today we're talking about compassion fatigue and burnout and vicarious trauma within the force-free dog training profession. So if you're a dog trainer or a pet professional that considers themselves force-free or positive reinforcement, this is the episode for you. Um, Pet parents, maybe not so much, but you may want to listen in so that you can have an understanding um, maybe about how your dog trainer feels. And with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to talk to Jenny Efimova of Dog Minded in Boston. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's always um, a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Yeah, I love that you're back. Um, For those of you out there who don't know Jenny, Jenny, why don't you just give us a quick introduction, uh, who you are, what you do, and all that fun stuff.
1: Sure. Um, So my business is Dog Minded. I'm located in Boston. Um, I provide mostly private training For puppies and adult dogs. Um, I do in person. I also do a lot of virtual work. um, And I also do some online classes.
0: Excellent. And before dog training, what was your background?
1: So, before coming to dog training, I worked with survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So, I was a domestic violence advocate for over a decade. Um, specifically, I did a lot of crisis intervention work on the statewide domestic violence hotline. And then I did a lot of education, prevention, and advocacy work in the community.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, you're the perfect person to be talking about vicarious trauma and burnout, which is what we're going to be talking about specifically within the force free slash positive reinforcement based um, pet professional world. Um, really excited to talk about this. So let's kick things off then. Um, why don't we define what, what vicarious trauma in Burnham is for, for folks out there?
1: So, you know, let me just first say, I'm not an expert in vicarious trauma because there are folks who are and do this work full time. Um, but f- the way I see it is, it is the trauma we experience when we work with others who are experiencing trauma and pain. Um, and so we, experience some of those experiences they have um, by working with them, by hearing their stories, by witnessing what they're going through. Um, And I think burnout is what results (laughs) from experiencing a lot of vicarious trauma. And I think there's lots of um, great resources on that and um, kind of criteria for what burnout looks like. But I would, I personally, I would call it as just emotional and physical depletion as a result of working with people experiencing um, trauma
0: yeah and it's interesting I've never met a somebody who works in this industry that has not been affected by it not not one now that I'm thinking about it yep <laughs> ah, and why why is that why are we susceptible to this
1: yeah you know it's such a good point Yeah, I often think about the work that I've done and kind of you know. I mentioned doing crisis intervention work. I was an advocate on a statewide domestic violence hotline, which ran um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, all year round, and um, we dealt with folks in a variety of crises, um, including people who are at risk for being, um, you know, physically uh, killed and harmed. And I kind of thought that, you know, transitioning to doing this work, that I would be prepared, (laughs) that I would be you know, that I knew enough about trauma and that would be prepared. And I really was not prepared for number one, the state of animal welfare as a whole, and also what it would mean to be a dog trainer and a specifically a positive reinforcement based trainer working with animals. I think that there is just this work is inherently challenging, whether you're you know, doing shelter work or you're in veterinary care, there's just so many pieces that make it incredibly emotional. I think we're all invested. Um, there's the animal factor. There's the human factor. It's just, there's a lot. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I don't think anybody could be prepared for it, really. I mean, I worked in a completely different industry for 15 years and it was a pretty cutthroat one, mm. but not in and advertising agencies. I mean, it's a different cutthroat that's right. it's, it, you know, we're, we're concerned about making money for, for our clients. It's not an animal welfare and a human welfare issue. Um, so there almost needs to be some sort of uh, training within any large, um, positive reinforcement slash force-free dog training course, um, or school, I think, um, to help prepare us as much as, as, as we, as you can sort of prepare one for that.
1: Uh, I agree. I mean, I think we have, um, some very unique challenges. Um, you know, I'm just going to speak for myself. I can't, you know, I'm not gonna speak for others, but I, I do, I have, you know, heard from folks who, who agree you know, number one, we work alone. You know, most of us work um, alone. You know, some may work in facilities or have teams around them. But for the most part, when we're they're working with clients in their homes or we're doing virtual sessions, you know, we're working alone. And so we don't have that benefit of, you know, turning to a colleague um, mm-hmm. or, you know, walking into your supervisor's office and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or like, I have, you know, one set of eyes on this dog, you know, w- you know what do you see? Am I missing something, something. So there's that just innate pressure of worrying whether you're missing something, mm-hmm. um, w- which I think in other fields, like in my past work, I always had the benefit of being able to consult someone else. You know, if I was on a difficult call, I could put them on hold and talk to another advocate and, um, we can't really do that here, right? And then we're also, (laughs) as positive reinforcement-based professionals are advocating a practice and a philosophy that is still, I would say a bit radical. Um, You know, we are living and working within a culture that's really conditioned, conditioned us to view behavior as something to be fixed to be punished, to be compelled—you um, know—the way we see learners, including children—you um, know—we often blame them, and so we're here. We're coming in and advocating a different way of looking at behavior, which is another challenge, right? Um, and then, of course, there is the fact that we're working within a completely unregulated industry. <laughs> Which you know what that means, right? You know we don't. Oh
0: have yeah. Any,
1: yeah, we don't have any oversight. We don't have any standards of care. We don't have any ethical standards, um, any that are actually you know enforceable. And so, all of these together create, I think, kind of a fertile ground for a lot of vicarious trauma and experiencing a lot of you know, it's taxing on our mental health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that sense of un- injustice goes nowhere. At least there's, there's just no, there's no sort of recourse a lot of the time when something goes wrong or we, we see abuse, neglect, um, malpractice. There's just, because it's unregulated, we 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 often feel helpless. I mean, again, I can only speak for myself, but also just mm-hmm. from, you know, discussing this with others. And that feeling of, I, I, what do I do about this? I've seen it happen. I've, I'm seeing it. I'm witnessing it. My clients are telling me about it, but I can't do anything about
1: it. Yes. Yeah. And I it's think an that, awful place to be. Yeah. I think that feeling of helplessness is really at the core of so much, um, of what we experience, you know, because, you know, for me, for me, I'll say a few things. Um, you know, I, I became certified um, in 2017. So I've been professionally training for four years. That is not a very long time. Um, but it's enough time to kind of get a good sense of what this work entails. Um, and I'm still learning. So personally, I'm already wanting to give my clients the best and worrying about whether I'm doing so. And I'm, also aware that I have to bring them along and I have to meet them where they are. um, And that the methodology I'm introducing might be difficult for them and they might be transitioning from something else. But the piece around the pressure that is in the back of my head, no matter how well I've tried to work through it, of knowing that if I can't help them and if I can't do it quickly enough that the risk of what might happen when they go to somebody else is very real, you know? And I don't think we talk about that enough. <laughs> like, I don't know that we talk enough about the pressure some of us might feel about not just generally, you know, being a good, being a good professional and helping people when they come to you for help, but really what the implications are if things aren't happening or changing quickly enough?
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's just, uh, it's just such a big part of how I think a lot of us feel day to day that we almost, maybe that's why we don't, it, it's almost normalized into my thought process is that, is that pressure to deliver yep. without compromising welfare. Um, but, but you're stuck in this crappy position um, which then fosters imposter syndrome as a side effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and you can see where this then spirals out into uh, impacting our mental health.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if, you know, if you think of an example, like if you're a physician, right, and you have a patient who comes to you and you say, you know, this is the diagnosis and, you know, this is the treatment plan and your patient says, okay, but, you know, I'd like a second opinion. You know, you're not going to go home and lose sleep over the fact that if that patient goes down to the hospital, you know, down the street, that they're going to be irreparably harmed, right? Because you have some reasonable expectation of a consistent standard of care that they will get within reasonable parameters. <laughs> we don't have that. <laughs> and that is kind of the, the big elephant in the room, which is that there are certain tools and methods Um, which, you know, we don't have to tiptoe around saying cause harm, you know, objectively cause harm. And that all of these tools and methods are on the table. And anyone at any point can say, well, this isn't working for me. So I'm going to try this, right? Be one thing if one of my clients left and said, Hey, I'm going to go to a better positive reinforcement based trainer, I would only be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not what happens most of the time. And so that, we're always like walking that tight rope of compassion and care and investment in our clients and their dogs but not too much investment right Mm -hmm. because what happens when things go in that direction and it's kind of left up to us to figure that out you know like setting those boundaries and creating that self-care for ourselves um you, and that is very challenging when you're in that cycle. Um, it can become very daunting and overwhelming uh, because who's going to figure that out for us? It's like you care care about your clients, but don't care too much.
0: Yeah, where's that line? That's yeah. very ambiguous. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I can I can say for myself now when I'm consulting on on serious behavior cases is. Mm-hmm. I've now started including a conversation about, well, what if you get to this point and you're feeling this way and you're feeling frustrated and your neighbor says, Hey, you know, so-and-so down the street can fix that for you. I, 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 I do, I address this now and say, Hey, if you make, just to let you know, I wouldn't blame you if you, you got frustrated and and got to this point, but I do want you to know that there are serious implications if you choose to go this direction at some Mm -hmm. point or at any point, um, in your dog's life. Does that make me feel a little bit better? Um, just a smidgen because I know that at least I, I have a, um, but you know, you know, people often don't listen and, and, uh, the information presented to them is presented and packaged in such a way that sounds so appealing. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) when you're in that position and you are desperate, you are, you're vulnerable. And it's, it's really, it, it really is, um, I, I don't even think the word frustrating covers it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I, it's, it's a bunch of things, sadness and, and frustration and, and helplessness and, you know, on and oh, on. Oh yeah.
1: Pain and fear, right. You're, you're afraid of that happening. And I think you mentioned something really important about um, that people can be desperate um, and they just don't know. And I think that that's the, the other important part where Um, we have to balance the the compassion for people who are just doing the best that they can with the information Mm -hmm. that they have I mean I've been there I didn't start with positive reinforcement with Larkin Um, and how desperate it can feel when your dog has a behavior issue right like I've been there I haven't been able to walk my dog outside (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and how those promises can be very appealing and that you know everyone's sort of doing the best that they can, um, but also that we have to we that that's also not a reason enough for us not to talk about the dangers of choosing other approaches, and talking about you know we can't talk about harm being done to dogs and their people without really talking about who's doing the harm, mm-hmm. you know and I, and I and I feel like sometimes that's where this um, issue comes up a lot because. People who can, people who speak out, um, might be labeled <laughs> as divisive or, you know, toxic. And I really feel like we need to find a little more, a little bit more nuance, because uh, speaking out is a byproduct of caring and wanting things to be better. Um, and we're drawn to this profession because we care and that we care to be good you know, trainers and teachers, but also advocates as well. Um, and I really think we wanna talk more about that um, and really have compassion for the professionals who are consistently exposed to um, the abuse that's happening in some cases, um, mm-hmm. in just the stories we hear day to day and also things we see on social media.
0: Yeah. And we're also in a position that if, you know, we do want to step up and advocate and be vocal about abuse, blatant abuse, oftentimes mm-hmm. we are severely punished for it. So living in fear of speaking out about injustices, mm-hmm. um, it, it in the, in, in training, um, is it's just, it's horrible, you know, and, and you that's being in a state of conflict. Oh, do I say anything or should I have liked that? Or should I have mm-hmm. done that? And then, you know, not sleeping at night because, and this is common, this is commonplace that day to day, you know, humane trainers are, are going through these cycles of, engaging with the wrong people and standing up and and making comments and then, you know, labeled as, um, uh, shaming. And (laughs) I mean, here's the thing, would any sane person put themselves in this kind of a (laughs) situation? (laughs) Like we're not benefiting from it in, in most cases, we're doing it because we're, we're selfless about welfare.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) There's a lot <laughs> there, um, in everything you just said. You know the so the other piece of vicarious trauma obviously is the actual firsthand and secondhand accounts of what happens to dogs and their people, right? And every trainer has one of those, and they have them probably daily, right? You know horror stories that if I shared, people wouldn't even believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is secondhand accounts, which is um, what your clients are telling you. And then there is things you see on social media and videos and images. And those can have a profoundly, um, detrimental impact on someone's mental health. Like you said, not sleeping. I mean, that is very real. You know, we focus, I think this is pretty consistent across a lot of issues in our society. We focus so much on, how the message is delivered versus what the message is and how you say something about abuse (laughs) is more important than the actual abuse happening and i see this a lot in any conversations around social justice right we put the onus on folks who are marginalized and oppressed to make their case in the most palatable way to others um And so for me, of course, there are ways of advocating that are not going to be impactful. Of course, we don't want to shame people. We don't want to harass people. We don't want to um, gang up on people. But we have to be able to have these conversations and have them honestly without conflating uh, discussing what's important and true with shaming because that's not always the same thing um and so what i i see that a lot because what we're seeing it's hard to digest and it's sometimes people want to have make a comment or express their outrage and often the focus is on how they're expressing it versus what's actually at the core you know mm-hmm
0: yeah, it's, um, and social media is is really difficult to navigate. I think um, a, a, a lot of trainers ask me, you know, how do you not get sucked into drama and in conversations about these things that you're seeing that are, are traumatic? Um, I think every individual needs to find their way to have a voice in a way that feels safe for them um, you know, for me, I again, I can only speak for myself. I, I don't, I'm not going to call out an individual or, um, anything like that, but I'm really careful about, I guess I would say that's something I'm really careful about because in past I have been punished severely for it. Um, so what I try and do is get my message across about abuse and, a, and about um, welfare by I guess putting messages out there that would promote facts, facts mm-hmm. about what you know what what will happen if you use these methods or what will happen if you approach things this way. I don't know. maybe I'm just not being super clear
1: no you're very clear I'm laughing because um you know we're we're in like a post-truth society <laughs> and I think about facts and it's like where we can't even agree on you know um yeah, wearing masks. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is the truth
1: yeah what I'm, I always come back to that I'm like okay this is it's not just in dog training but especially mm-hmm. so yeah um absolutely
0: but I would say I'm careful about it because I don't want to be punished for it. And what I mean by punished is I don't want somebody targeting me. I don't want the emotional trauma that is attached to that within social media because of how much baggage is associated with just the day-to-day work of, of training with, with yeah.
1: clients. I mean, that's sort of escape avoidance, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know, Absolutely. that's a, yeah, a verse of control, right? Like you know, silence by means of compulsion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it is a very real boundary. You, we have to um, create for ourselves because sometimes we actually can't, you know, like I saw something this weekend that really just kind of froze me for a whole day. And I just kept thinking about it. It was an image I saw on social media. um, And it's like, I can't really not think about it, and I'm debating whether I should share it, and under what conditions I should share it, and what does that look like? And um, I mean, the impact is very real, right? And I hear it from folks all the time, where they say, like, "Oh, I couldn't sleep. I saw that I, I and I couldn't sleep, or I I can't. You know, this makes me want to cry, or I was in tears when I saw this." Um, so, I just think we need to be talking about this more. And to your point earlier about just courses and education. Um, I think we, at least my, you know, program I went through, but I know other folks who go through, you know, there's a lot of empowerment around spreading the message around positive reinforcement, showing versus um, saying, although I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we can do both. Um, but, you know, doing your work, showing the, the positives around the, the, the positive reinforcement-based philosophy, showing the um, quote-unquote results, you know, being out there and showing your work, that's really important, but it is not going to negate the inevitable trauma you're going to experience. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be talking about that and addressing it and giving people tools and readying them that this would be part of their experience. Um, So that to me is really lacking.
0: Yeah, definitely agree on that. Now, on a, on a personal level yourself, how do you, um, find the balance? Oh, I shouldn't use it. <laughs> choice of words. How do
1: I set boundaries? <laughs>
0: how, yes. Yes. How do you take care of yourself? As yeah.
1: Well? Um, I mean, not always very well. <laughs> um, I have set some boundaries around social media for myself, um, which is I've limited my comments. Um, which has, I would say, diminished the amount of trolling I get. Um, I think that really kind of stops the um, targeted attacks um, from people who don't follow you, who are just kind of showing up to your account to say things. Um, I have tried to um, disengage if I see things uh, triggering content. I have tried to create space from it immediately. Um and disengage. And if I have a thought um around responding or talking about it or sharing it, I always sit on it or I sleep on it.
0: <laughs> right. Good idea.
1: That's helped me a lot. So um and I also have acknowledged that sometimes the and this is just I think social media related, um, it can be very cyclical, right? Like you see content, you have you feel you have start to have feelings about it, you start to check, you know, you start to kind of it's like you get into a cycle. Um, So interrupting that is really important. Um, And then in my work, I try to be as clear as I can be with clients about my philosophy um, right up front. Um, I try to be very um, clear with myself about cases I take um, and try not to take cases I think I can't handle. Um, because I think that sets us up for failure. Oftentimes that can be hard though. Uh, Cause you don't always know <laughs> what, what's, sure. what's coming. Um, and just focusing on um, I do try to focus mostly on actionable things. I can show people and I can demonstrate and I can work um, to expand people's understanding of the benefits the multitudes of wonderful benefits of choosing a positive reinforcement based approach that ultimately brings me the most joy. Um, so I try to focus on that as much as I can. Um, nice. I'm not always very successful, <laughs> but well, that's yeah, kind of-
0: no, yeah, there's definitely not going to be a, hey, here's the magic solution and yeah. put this into place and you'll be good to go. It just doesn't yeah. work that way. I think it's mitigating, the side effects of, of, of the field. Um, and for for myself, acceptance about uh, certain things that I cannot change and that I will not be able to control, um, has given me a, a small sense of peace, I suppose.
1: Um, yes. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think being able to identify what those things are is, is very powerful. yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: And I I think having people that can relate to, um, to the struggles that you're going through is really helpful. Um, you know, if you don't have somebody to talk to that is going to validate your feelings, it's really, it's, it's going to be a tough road, um, you know, I feel lucky enough, like you're, you're obviously one of those people. Well, not obviously people are not going to know, but (laughs) you're one of those people for me, sort of like the voice of reason, somebody who I know can relate and also will, will give me, you know, honesty. Um, but it's a really tough road if you don't have that.
1: Yes. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like we might benefit from creating more of those opportunities for each other, you know? Um, I don't know what that would look like, (laughs) but I would love to have more um, kind of community support around this um, and for people to be able to access that. Um, Because I do think the isolating nature of the work, especially, of course, especially in the past year, um, although I, I do think there's some benefits to how virtual work has brought folks together, but I think that's a big piece where I think people might feel alone Like you said, it's amazing to have somebody, um, to have people around you, but I think a lot of folks don't, you know, and I think that's, what's really difficult. I'd love for us to come up with ways to support each other more.
0: I'm starting some, some ideas are starting to now swirl around in my head. So this is good, good, (laughs) good, Good. (laughs) a way to make things more accessible. You're very
1: creative. So (laughs) I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, it, it's definitely a very difficult uh, line of work that, you know, again, preparation for what you're going to experience is not really something that can be put into words. I think it's shocking for a lot of people in their first couple of years. Um, at least that's what I hear. And I know mm-hmm. I experienced just the utter disbelief that it could be so unprofessional and um, toxic at times. But the, the kicker is that the, what you receive, um, in terms of, you know, when you're able to successfully help a client and a dog and improve their welfare and, and, and really do what you do well is why you keep doing it, you know?
1: Very true. Right. I mean, reinforcement drives behavior. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Otherwise we would not continue yep. doing it. Right. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's so conflicting and it, it is, um, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I would say to anybody out there who is feeling isolated, who is feeling like they don't have a place or that they don't have a voice and, and they want to continue doing the work is to please get in touch with me, um, through my Instagram so that we can, um, provide you with some sort of, some community, some support, something, um, because it's just, we, we, we can't, I think positive reinforcement dog trainers are going to just start leaving sooner and sooner in their careers.
1: Yes. Um, I think the, the burnout piece and the is, is huge. And I have seen people leave the industry, um, because that part is just too hard for them. Um, and I've also seen people, you know, shut down. (laughs) Yeah. As a result. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been super interesting conversation as always. And I'm glad that we talked about it when you're feeling really motivated to have this discussion due to just, you know, the daily events that happen within the the positive reinforcement dog training day
1: to day, day to day stuff. (laughs)
0: Just if you're not a dog trainer and you're out there listening, you're probably like, what are you even talking about? Like, or they've skipped by now. Who cares? That's fine. (laughs) fine. Um, yeah, that's good. But that's the great thing about having your own podcast is you have control. You put the information out there. If people don't like it, then that's, that's fine. That's cool.
1: I love that Renee. I love that we were able to just connect and talk through this. Um, it's important. Um, and you know, I think also cathartic. (laughs) Um, and again, I just think, you know, we want to potentially create more opportunities for people to connect and be able to really feel, um, heard and safe in um, sharing how they feel. Yes. So, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. And I hope that we will talk again. I'm sure we will on the podcast and in other formats as well.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Thank you. thank you. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on the Bravo Dog Knowledge podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. That enables us to continue bringing you free content and reach more people. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via Instagram at bravodogtraining as well as at Mentorship Collective. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.